This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. With the increasing legalization of cannabis across the country, including most recently Rhode Island, the cannabis industry is growing at a rapidly accelerating pace. If you are already in the industry or wondering what is the best path to break into the cannabis field, well, the University of Rhode Island has a program to help educate you in the evolving space. Fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, the online certificate program covers topics related to product development, chemical analysis and testing, and patient and customer therapeutics. The next application deadline for the spring 2023 session is November 29th, and courses start January 10th. Join them at two upcoming info sessions and learn more at uri.edu slash online slash cannabis or give them a call at 401 874 5280. Uh, Mike Parkhurst. I grew up in Cranston, Rhode Island. Been playing soccer for a long time. Um, game was good to me. I uh, started out with CLCF and uh, did Bayside United and uh, then ended up going to high school down in uh, IMG in Florida. From there, I went to college, turned pro, played for the Revs, uh, played for 15 years, including Europe and here in the US, played for the national team, went to the Olympics and uh, Finished up at the end of 2019 and met Brett Johnson shortly thereafter. Found out about this project and uh, it was a no-brainer for me to get involved with this. So joined on as co-founder with Brett. And yeah, so culminating in uh, the last couple of days of uh, unveiling the name and crest. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a real quick synopsis of uh, where we are today. Who was your coach at uh, Bayside? Was it, was it Stacey Castro? There was. Yeah. For a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. I had, no, I, just had, I had him from when I was about eight until, yeah, uh, 14 or 15. I think that's so important with Rhode Island FC is to have somebody who knows the players here in soccer because there is a, uh, and I, by players, I don't mean ball players. I mean, like the, the movers and shakers because there's a culture in Rhode Island that is at the youth level that's very, you know, it isn't necessarily the most competitive state on the national stage, but it's a very, it's a very strong state uh, traditionally. But also, when when we talk about Providence, the amount of, for lack of a better term, this is often how they're categorized: the ethnic leagues here, whether it's in the Mexican league or you know, the Guatemalan league that plays at, at Hopkins Field off one forty six. These are like hotbeds for soccer on a on a national basis um because of of the population of various ethnicities that live in providence so these leagues end up being amazingly high level they draw a lot of spectators and they produce from time to time serious players and so having you in the mix it like it forges a connection at the top of the soccer world that, with your background and and success but also you've played here, you grew up here and, you know, you played in Cranston and how does that factor into sort of the broader identity that, that the, the club is trying to create, um, on a statewide basis? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I played my fair share of Laza games, so I know all about the uh, Portuguese community and their yes. games. Um, yeah, some hidden talent for sure, uh, throughout the state. Um, but we, yeah, we've said from day one that we, um, are going to be a community-based team. We, uh, want to have outreach and connection with all of those aspects of Rhode Island soccer. Um, and like you said, identifying with all the different, um, ethnicities and their leagues and, 
making them feel that this is their team as well, right? This is not just, you know, a certain aspect of Rhode Island's team, right? We want this to be everyone from, from Rhode Island is welcome and feel that they are part of the team and represented. So that's definitely a big aspect of us. And that's, that's why we had the big event the other day of visiting all 39 uh, cities and towns, because we want to connect with all of Rhode Island. We want to make them feel like our stadium is going to be their living room to come and connect with other people and enjoy uh, a high level game or concert or whatever type of event they're coming to um, and connect with fellow Rhode Islanders, bring people together. Did you get out to block Island during your 39 cities and towns? I did not personally. Yeah. Someone Uh, did though. Someone was there. The flag is planted. Nice. (laughs) Um, I think it's really interesting that at this moment, where where the stadium is is certainly i mean it hasn't gone vertical yet there's there's a pathway to completion that is that is serious and there there could be disruptions and it was interesting to hear brett in an interview um uh, during or shortly after the announcement say hey look by summer 2024 this this stadium is going to be open and we're going to have there's going to be a warm summer night we're going to have soccer here um in a follow-up interview with Dan York on WPRO, the question was asked, well, the USL season starts in April. So basically, the team is going to happen. You know, you may play at, I'm just throwing examples, it may be Providence College, Brown University, maybe even Pierce Stadium, who knows? Um, the team's happening. Like, the, if the stadium is complete, whatever, that's 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 secondary. Is, is that a fair way to assess this? It's not... It's not dependent on the stadium completion that this this team is going to play in 24. 100% correct. We will have a team starting 2024 um no matter no matter where we're playing. You know, obviously ideally the stadium there's no hiccups and that thing gets, you know, plopped up very quickly and uh without any issues and and we're there earlier than expected. But we know that especially in today's world um that might not happen. You know, the the goal is the the that summer. So Yes, we're probably going to have to um, find a, a place to play some, some games, you know, so that we don't start off the season with 10 away games or something like that, where it puts us in a tough hole because, you know, like we said, we want to be competitive. We want to uh, make the playoffs and, and compete for trophies from day one. And so, you know, balancing, um, you know, the stadium with also trying to get results and, and not handicap the, the first year by, you know, playing 10, 12 away games straight off the bat. So um, that's definitely part of the process uh, from here on out, figuring that out. Rhode Islanders definitely are more engaged with sports when the team is successful in, in terms of competitiveness. And we see that you can just watch the attendance at a Providence Friars games or Fri- Friars game. Now when they're have, they have an excellent club or Rams games, the fluctuation of attendance at the Ryan center, URI soccer, men's soccer games were selling out at one point when that club was extremely competitive. And of course, the Boston teams. So how important is it, not just from a a feel-good standpoint, but from a marketing standpoint, to put a team that can actually compete for trophies on the field right out of the gate? It's very, very important for us to have a winning team on the field. So much of everything uh, revolves around having success on the field, right? When you're talking about people coming into the stadium, sponsorships, buzz, um, media attention, a lot, a lot of different things, players wanting to be there. Um, You know, so we know that that is an 
absolute one of our top priorities is to put a winning team on the field from day one. Um, and, and Brett and, and the rest of the team, we're committed to it. Um, and that that means that we're going to spend um, towards the top end of the USL championship to put a team out there. Right? You can't just rely on a bunch of 17, 18, 19-year-olds diamond in the roughs to, to win games all the time. right? So you have to go out there and you have to find some experienced players and pay up for them. And uh, we will do that. And, and that's not unique to Rhode Island to be you know wanting to cheer on a, a, a winning team. Team, right. There's a, right. there's very few markets uh, that'll go cheer on a losing team consistently. You know, I think of like Buffalo and like Cleveland or something. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, besides <laughs> that, you know, we so we know that it is a top priority for us, and and so that will start with the head coach and making sure that we get someone in here that is uh, will bring top talent with them, will attract top talent, and be able to develop that talent. You've announced a club president. It's obviously way early to start thinking about drafts and and acquisitions and things like that. But your gut instinct on your role in selecting players and being, and I guess not even specifically selecting players, but in terms of personnel, do you see yourself as part of, you know, as a co-founder of the club in the room trying to 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 impart some knowledge? Um, or do you see yourself saying, "Hey, look, this is going to be tough because of my background and experience, but I'm going to keep keep everything at a distance." and keep things compartmentalized. Yeah, I'd like to be an asset, right? I think that we're we're going to get a coach who's got some experience here in the US, uh, whether MLS or USL level so that they're um they understand the market because we think that's important and um so I don't think that uh, that person will need me to find half the team or anything like that. But if I can be an asset with some of my connections uh, around the the soccer landscape here in the U S and obviously I, I'd want to do that. You know, I, I watch more soccer now than I did when I was playing. So, um, you know, I still feel pretty connected and, and know the level um, of all the leagues and, and have a good relationship with some college coaches. And, and we'll definitely have, um, you know, a few players that are, are fresh out of college on our team. So um, would like to be an asset to the, the future head coach, but not um, overstay my welcome in any of those meetings. You're not George Steinbrenner of the round <laughs> football club. <laughs> right. Definitely not. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because the league has grown so much. The USL, a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people will remember the Stingrays, the Rhode Island Rays that played at Pierce Stadium. And uh, I certainly refereed a dozen of those games and it was, it was magical. It was fun, but it was never packed. You know, a lot of the attendees were probably getting free tickets and things like that. The culture wasn't there. And I'm, you know, Mario, who was the head coach, general manager and everything janitor um, was frustrated by that building a culture. It was like, how do you do this? How do you do this? So I guess the question is what, besides the fact that the league has grown enormously, what will be the biggest difference day one between the previous iteration of USL soccer in Rhode Island and this iteration? Yeah, you're right. I think that I remember going to a lot of those Stingrays games and I loved going to those Stingrays games. I, I loved meeting those guys at summer camps and playing soccer tennis with them and getting to know them. Uh, you know, Javi was one of the guy I looked up to and, and then now he's with Project Goal and I see him all the time. What a great human being and what he's done for the game here in the state. So um, I remember those games fondly. But yes, um, you know, soccer has uh, grown a lot since then. Um, and, and the onus is on us to 
make sure that we uh, encapsulate all of that excitement of soccer and bring um, everyone into our stadium. You know, I don't, I, when I look back at, at the Stingrays games, I'm not sure how diverse that crowd was. Um, you know, so we want to make sure that we tap into all those markets. You know, I think that my last experience uh, with soccer was with Atlanta United and they were a startup team in 2017. And, you know, they created a unbelievable atmosphere from day one. Now the, the team on the field absolutely helped in keeping those people coming back. But what I saw was a bunch of people that didn't know much about soccer that loved being a part of the atmosphere of being a part of the community and the uniqueness of the environment at a soccer game compared to baseball and football and, and basketball, right? It's the cheering uh, was not dependent on the action on the field and they're standing for the whole game and they know they're going to be out of there in two hours, right? There's, there's a lot of um, things that are unique to soccer and we want to make sure that uh, everyone gets to experience that because until you experience it firsthand, it, it's difficult to, to really comprehend it and understand it. So um that's definitely top of our list. And, and in order to do that, events like yesterday are important or two days ago, right? Of getting the name out there, getting the recognition of the brand that people know who we are, where we play, what the league is, all of that. Uh, so, you know, that takes a commitment and, um, you know, that's what we're going to have to do here in the next uh, 12, 16 months. Soccer is like, you mentioned something about being in and out in two hours. Soccer is such a great game for contemporary media consumption because at a point it was kind of like well how do we monetize this well obviously banners on the screen there's in stadium banners obviously the teams monetize with maybe advertising on the on the logo partnerships there's ways to do it but it's not the traditional united states television break and we've seen american football and and even in the the conversation i just had with miles you know, college basketball, the amount of TV timeouts, it's like, all right, you know, you can quickly lose interest. You pick up your phone during one of those TV timeouts and start scrolling through TikTok or YouTube or, or hop on a call or get back on your, your laptop to, to do something for work during a commercial break. You may be gone for the rest of the game. Soccer mm -hmm. in by nature keeps moving. It's like, it's more equipped for modern life. And that's not something that a lot of people have touched on. And I wonder if you'll be able to play into that where it's like, Hey, look, you know, you're going to be, this is a sport that if you're not familiar with it, or you're only familiar with it from the youth level or something like that, like this is not, this does not have to occupy your entire night or Saturday. Like this is like going to see a movie or a local show or something like that. Like this is an hour and a half, two hours of your time. How much of that do you think is going to play into building in the, the, the new fan that will come out to the stadium? I think it's definitely a part of it, right? There's, there's obviously the, the diehards that um, understand that and don't, don't care if the game's two hours or if they want to be there for five hours, you know, before and after. Um, but there's definitely a part of the crowd that, um, you know, wants to do other things with their evenings and, you know, has other commitments and know that, okay, you know, this is not a game that could be anywhere between, you know, two hours and four hours, right. Depending on, whatever, right. We're going to be, you're going to be in and out of there, um, which is a great thing. And we want to make sure that while they're there, they have an awesome experience, right. That it's not just, you know, rush them in, sit them down, rush them out. Um, yeah. you know, we, we love, and that's why 
the huge amount of uh, finance be, be around the stadium is going to be put in, um, right? We want people to come and hang out before and after if they'd like to, um, but that's their choice. And they know that, you know, like you said, they're going to be in and out if they want to be. And, and that's like you said, that's today's society, right? The, their attention span is short um, and, and people are always looking for the next piece of action. So uh, definitely we hope to, uh, that's one of the factors that leads people in. Last question. So what's it like just for you to come back home to Rhode Island and be a part of, of a major project here? A dream come true. I mean, I never, I never even would have thought, uh, I I guess it's tough to say it's a dream come true because I didn't even dream of of that. Right. The dream was to play professionally. Um, And and yes, I was able to accomplish that, but you know, now I think it's more of, of like a legacy part of like, okay, now I can be a part of something that can live in Rhode Island um, and affect so many people and create those dreams for youngsters and opportunities for people um, that maybe didn't have those opportunities both on and off the field, right. To, to work for our team, play for the team, um, you know, be that inspiration. You know, that's why, you know, connecting with the community and having players that are out there and um, being faces and role models uh, is super important because I saw firsthand the impact that I had when I was playing, you know, visiting kids. And uh, I want to make sure that Rhode Islanders have that. And, you know, the Stingrays, I thought, did that pretty well. And, and it impacted me. And, you know, I think that this team being bigger um, and ha- has a, a more re- a, a bigger responsibility to even do that and connect. And that's what we'll do.